Welcome to Adaptation, the podcast that dives into all things self-optimization and self-discovery, helping you be your best inside and out. I'm your host, Steve Katazi, and today we have the UK's leading biohacker, Tim Gray, joining us to talk about health optimization through what has been a curveball of a year. This year is the true wake-up call that health needs greater focus and attention. And yet in some twisted irony, it is also the year where people's health and well-being is declining. Tim is a great guy with loads of energy, smarts and a true commitment to optimized health. He's got his own mind and is happy to disagree with you, which I actually really appreciated. Moreover, he's no shill. He leans in on technology to support his health where it makes sense or when nature is inaccessible, but his priority, priority number one, is absolutely about aligning to our evolutionary consistent ancestral behaviors for optimal health and vitality. In this episode with Tim, Tim shares his journey from perplexing ill health to becoming a picture of health and a biohacker leader. We speak about the public sentiment in 2020, and what has enabled some folk to be the exception to the rule. We get into defining what biohacking is and isn't, and how people's perception of this space is misguided sci-fi, and usually worries of some level of transhumanism, which it really isn't. We discuss why biohacking and health optimization has become so popular around the world, and the difference between geeking out with biohacker gadgets versus using tech smartly. And of course, we hit Tim's top five low-budget, accessible, and most impactful biohacks. And then we touch on Tim's next London Health Optimization Summit, which is happening in Olympia in January 2021. I had an absolute cracker of a time with Tim on this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. There is some health gold in this podcast, so do pay attention. And as always, you can check out our full show notes by clicking the link within the description of this episode. And if this discussion resonates with you, then please help others find our show by leaving a five-star rating or review in your podcast app and tagging us or sharing this adaptation episode on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Lastly, if you want to take your personal growth to the next level, then do check out our Be Your Best Self-Optimization journey which is an online self-improvement program like no other, letting you into the human code and helping you realize your full potential and to be your best. You can find more details and podcast listener discounts in the episode notes. Okay, without further delay, I hope you enjoy this great conversation with the optimized Tim Gray. Welcome on the show, Tim. Thanks for having me, Steve. Oh, mate. Yeah, I know it took a while to make this happen. You're a busy guy, and I know you've been traveling a bunch recently, but so glad that we finally got this in the diary. Me too. Me too. It's been reorganized a few times and stuff, hasn't it? <laughs> it, it, it has been, but listen, uh, no issues with that at all. Now, I've been having to think about this, Tim. Like, what can we talk about? What's relevant for this year? And, um, you being known as the UK's leading biohacker, a psychology specialist, and the founder of the UK's largest alternative health conference, the Health 
Optimization Summit, I think there is something pretty timely, a pretty good topic that we can talk about um, that I think our listeners and myself would benefit from. And that is the realities of biohacking in 2020. Mm-hmm. Because, and this is my thinking, are people pulling away in a self-sabotage kind of way from this concept this year? And or is optimizing around the edges low on people's priorities? Because I think that's an important question, Tim. The final thoughts before I hand over the mic is I sense people are less interested and committed to self-optimization this year. And for many, the pandemic is all-consuming. It's uh, leading to life being on a permapause to some degree for many people, which begs the question, are people honestly in the right headspace to truly invest in themselves right now? So if you're up for it, Tim, let's explore this on this call, um, as well as making sure we leave people with practical and pragmatic big rocks that people can get after throughout the rest of this year, 2020. Sound good? It sounds amazing. Cool. All right. Well, let's let's see if we can do it. Um, But before we get into, you know, the reflection and pontification of 2020, as it relates to biohacking and where people are at mentally, physically, from immune perspective, maybe we can start with you first of all. So who is Tim Gray? And maybe talk us through briefly your journey that led you to this position of leadership in the biohacking space. Yep, I'll be super quick um, because I think it's much better to talk value pack stuff than about me. Um, But this forms the basis of where we're at. Um, I've been in psychology and digital marketing for 20 years, pretty much, um, having started, run and sold um, some online businesses early days, um, say 2000, somewhere around there. Uh, And uh 2010 2011 i started getting ill and um my mindset has always been optimization so it's psychology based marketing is in terms of looking at someone's website and then improving it so that it increases conversions and that can be from um, communicating clearer communicating better or looking at the data of what people have done on websites um, to see how they're behaving when there's blocks or barriers. It's not about selling people stuff that they don't want. It's about making sure that they understand the value within the things that they're already looking at. So my mindset has always been optimization. Um, and when I got ill, 2011, um, around there, I, I kind of spiraled out of, out of control with my health. And being that I'd always been 200 miles an hour, didn't need to sleep much, didn't really eat much, um, just focused on growing my businesses. And I, I've always done what my, where my passion is. Um, I realized that I needed to optimize my health somewhat. And I was in and out of the doctors a lot. Um, it started with um, urinary tract infections and kidney stones and bloating and three months of antibiotics and then prostate issues. and. Uh, brain fog issues and you know basically it was just getting worse and worse and worse the more and more I did and that was under the standard doctors or allopathic model Um, at the time I hadn't met anyone else like me there was just forums there was the odd Facebook group but not many around then and there wasn't a great deal of support so I one day I was in the doctors and um, I said to the doctor what's wrong with me because I'd been in you know five days in a row um, and, you know, I couldn't drive, um, I hardly had any energy. I was, you know, 30, 
one-ish, somewhere around 32-ish, and had to get my mum to drive, and I was breaking down in tears, which is, you know, not me. Um, and I said to the doctor, and he was, you know, probably about 65, 70 or something like that, so he'd been around a while, but obviously trained a long time ago. So what's wrong with me? And he said, I can't find anything wrong, Tim, and shrugged his shoulders, I can't help. So <clears throat> that was a big wake-up moment, and I think a lot of people have wake-up moments like it. So I went back home and started researching and studying and studying and studying, um, tearing away apart every blog, every um, forum, everything. This is, again, before podcasts were a massive thing, I think, and didn't really know what to look for. I didn't know that there was an alternative way of thinking. Um, so <clears throat> I then found out about um, a nutritionist, which just happened to be a functional nutritionist, just by complete chance. And um, I mentioned um, that I'd had bloating and antibiotics for a long time. And she said, oh, well, you need some probiotics and um, let's do a few tests. Well, at the time I'd, I'd had thrush in my mouth and it was around the filling in my mouth. And so I Googled metal filling and thrush. And then I heard about candida and mercury poisoning and amalgam illness and all the things that come with it, um, which is controversial in the traditional medical system, um, but not in alternative health or uh, functional medicine or biological dentistry spaces. So basically, I'd really realized that there was another area of health. And I carried on studying that route, reading about mercury chelation, reading about gut bacteria, early days, genetic optimization, um, before there was much on the internet about it, as in terms of, you know, optimizing for genetic variations that you'd have naturally. Um, and then um, and then I heard about Bulletproof Coffee. Uh, that was about five years later after studying for five years and um, Dave Asprey and the whole Bulletproof movement. So I tried Bulletproof Coffee one day um, for mental clarity because it was supposed to be a magic bullet. And next thing I know, it's two o'clock in the afternoon and I'd had the best day working at my my dinner table that I'd had in months and months and months and months and months. So I knew there was something in it. Um, so then. I started listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Ashbury a lot and went down the rabbit hole and associated with the label of biohacking. And that's basically my journey into it. Um, why that's relevant to the journey is because obviously I buried myself in that world quite deeply, learning more and more biohacking, got to know. Um, I went to the Bulletproof Conference over in Pasadena 2017 and loved the whole movement and the mindset of everyone, how they were growth mindset and all team spirit and all optimizing their health and all at the forefront of this space. And I came back to London and realized that I had a few friends that were as crazy as me or considered crazy that looked after these things and started a little meetup group uh, called the Biohacker London Social Circle, which grew to 500 people pretty much overnight. And then when I told my mum about having a group of biohackers, she said, well, what's a biohacker? So I said, well, it's someone that uses, you know, science, um, nutrition, uh, fitness, all these things to optimize your health. And she said, well, why, why isn't it called health optimization? <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So I decided to relabel it as Biohacker London, uh, Biohacker and Health Optimization London. And that grew so big so quickly that people said, why don't you do a summit? So I did. Next thing I know, the guys from Bulletproof Labs, uh, Martin Tobias, who was the CEO there, got in touch with me and said, Tim, let's hang out. I got quite friendly with him and became mates and went to the various conferences and hung out with all the people. And then they offered to support me, which I did. Um, I took them up on that offer as well as PaleoFX and brought the Health Optimization Summit to London 2019, um, bringing in all the biggest speakers to London.
Um, first time they've been in Europe mostly. And that got 1,200 people, 50 speakers and 50 exhibitors and um, kind of spiraled out of control from there. <laughs> that's, that's a great story. You know what? I didn't go to the event, but I interviewed Ben Pekulski Mm. At his at his uh, B&B, Airbnb apartment, stones throw mm. from Olympia in mm. 2019, as he had uh, he'd gone there to do a, a talk, right? And he was also mingling with a various few people that he was, uh, you know, really keen to connect with and get on his show too. So, yeah, it's, it's mm. funny that you know our wells kind of collided, albeit mm. I didn't know it, and it was uh, on a very hot two days in uh, <laughs> West mm-hmm. London, right? Mm. Oh man, yeah, it's funny actually. I bumped into Ben in Toronto at a summit there, and um, said to him, "I'd love you to speak in London." It took nearly a year to make it happen, but he, yeah, he did. So yeah, it's cool. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. Well, we're going to return back to the Health Optimization Summit later on in our discussion, but thank you for that introduction. Um, let's now kind of pivot to where we are today, 2020. Um, I want to first maybe try and characterize where I think the public headspace kind of public sentiment is and I know that this is broad strokes and it is broadly speaking but this is what I see and then maybe you can kind of add to that based on your circle of friends because I guess they are a niche in their own right but what I see broadly speaking Tim is I think everyone seems to be permanently distracted me included and it's hard to stay focused and disciplined this year right it's been an unprecedented year there's been a cacophony of bad news on a constant drip especially in the UK where obviously mainstream media is on overdrive and uh, our our life is continuing to be restricted in ways which make no sense so I think it's permanently distracting those that are either frustrated by the events that have taken place or quite frankly they're distracted because they're fearful to some degree or another I also think that broadly speaking if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you take a look at that, the basic ones, right? You know, um, mental, physical, financial safety, connection, self-esteem, that kind of low base of the pyramid, I think mm. is shaken, if not completely in tatters for a lot of people right now. And I guess mm. because of that, if your basic needs aren't met, I think it's, it's people will struggle to want to sculpt perfection Um when there's this sense of the world is falling apart to some degree. Mm. Um, and I'm not quite sure that people in that kind of headspace to want to make a lot of effort because no one's seen them right now. And there's, you know, unprecedented amount of kind of isolation, you know, physical mm. isolation. People not going to get their haircuts as much, including me. People not going out for as many meals. People not going to the office as much. People not going out for drinks and you know, dancing and whatever it is they would otherwise do. We're incredibly isolated this year. And I believe all of this is just kind of feeding into a vicious circle. So maybe you can help say, one, I, I hear you, or give me an alternative perspective, or maybe add some extra color to that. What, where do you see the UK headspaces at right now in terms of self-care, self-love, that kind of um, self-optimization stuff? It really depends on your circles. Um, is the answer to that one. Um, for me, my followers generally, and I get obviously get a biased view, and my followers, except for the new followers, um, and I'm talking on Instagram, they generally are already in the health optimization mindset. Um, they're biohackers or they're into optimizing their health and they're learning bit by bit. So I think 
the lockdown, it depends. Um, for some people, it's made them go more inward and more protection and they've been isolated and therefore a lot of people don't do well in isolation on their own. Um, I think other people have um, flourished. And I think the people that have fed, have, uh, the wake up moment for me was in front of that doctor. The wake up moment for some people has been in front of this COVID thing. And I think it's made some people realize that the system is broken. You know, a lot of people know about the media all shouting about the same things and it's being very different in reality to where they are. An example, for instance, just to confirm that fact for me is I traveled Europe for 10 weeks during the lockdown. Um, I wasn't particularly careful. I didn't wear a mask most of the time, only when forced to or out of respect for, you know, people serving me or Uber drivers, for instance. And I was across the whole of Europe pretty much. Um, and I didn't get it. And um, my vitamin D levels are optimized. I spend time in nature and all these things. So I think um, people are realizing when they other people have done this or other people in the countries where they say it's been absolutely crazy um, of saying, well, there's not a parallel with the media. Now, I'm not talking about agendas. I'm not talking about conspiracies or anything like that. I just think that some people have gone, something's not right here and I'm going to optimize my health um, better. And a lot of people have been researching it. A lot of the health, the proper health industry has grown significantly during lockdown. A lot of more research is going on. People that were closed off at the beginning of this whole corona thing um, are now open and saying, yes, they understand that diet and exercise is super important. Mm -hmm. um, especially around, around Falsi saying, yeah, he uses vitamin C um, <laughs> uh, now, which is not something he said before. Um, uh, and in fact, in the UK, any IV clinic that was saying, you know, use use vitamin C for to help boost your immunity got warnings from the government saying you're not allowed to say that, even though Falsi now months later says that vitamin C is part of his daily routine. So I think people are waking up to the fact that they need to do more and that there are other options out there. But there are some people that go, yeah, I was right originally and things aren't great and they get worse. So I think we become more of what we were whether we're growth mindset, we grow. And if we're protection mindset and worried, we, we lock down and get into a worse state. Whereas it alternative, or should I say other influences that have a very different follower base to me, and I appreciate I have some of the most extreme ones in terms of health, um, see a very different picture. And when I saw a survey a few weeks ago that one of the influences that talk about, um, they could talk about lifestyle medicine and he's a celebrity, doctor, let's just say that, um, his voting um, of mindset of asking where his followers were, were like 70% negative, whereas mine were only like 15 or 20% negative. Mm. You know, seemed like we had very similar amount of responses from what he shared on his story. So I really do think that, you know, we become more of what we are in times of um, difficulties like this. Uh, for me, I, I've locked down. Um, I've got a lot of work done. I've been building the summit even more so. I'm more determined to make it even better. Um, I've been working on quite a few different things. I've been traveling, even though I was locked down for four weeks in London. Um, I was out in the garden working from the laptop, taking full advantage of being in one place and making sure that my, my daily routine of health was solid. And I think a lot of people have been the same. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's it's funny that point you make about your kind of base or your foundation really determines how you respond. I, I've seen that completely. I would say I would, with some broad strokes, Tim, I would say that 
if you are, and this is a wild generalization, but if you are already in good health, whether you're, I don't know, maybe you're a PT or you're someone already into fitness, or you've got yourself in good shape already, um, or you're optimizing health, or you're a biohacker, or whatever it is, and or if you're an entrepreneur, if you're, you know, you know, you own your own business, or you're, you know, you've got a bit between your teeth, you're trying to start something, build something. I think those two characteristics for me, almost 100% correlate with people that have taken a more relaxed approach to the risk associated to COVID-19 and are also the ones that are more open-minded to the fact that this has been blown out of complete proportion from both the government and mainstream media. Now, I could be wrong with that and that is not scientific, it's just observational from my own interactions with lots of people, but it does seem to be highly correlated. Those that already feel that they're in a good spot, now I don't think they're being sociopaths, I don't think they, they lack empathy or care, they just recognize that health really is a bedrock of being able to work through this and many other situations in life. Would you agree? Mm. Yes and no. Um, yes and no. <laughs> Come on, give, give, us, give us the yes and a no. I want to hear, I want to hear it. <laughs> I don't claim to be right. Um, okay, cool. So, um, yeah, I'm, yes and no is the answer to that, Steve. Um, I think people that are doing everything to optimize their health um, that are very fit, uh, are successful business people that aren't burning a candle at both ends, that is. I think that they don't necessarily worry too much. And I think that's because they know that they're doing everything they can to optimize their health. But early days when this first started spreading, no one was sure, yeah. including the governments. And everyone, nearly everyone panicked. For me, I was like, well, I'm just going to gather data and I'm going to form an opinion soon, but not yet when when studies or things start coming out from, from the numbers. Um, so I don't wait on obviously double blind studies and things like that. Um, being trying to be at the forefront of health, I try to look at the actual data in the real world um, and see what's actually going on. So I think a lot of people did very similar. Um, there are also people that are unhealthy um, that worried the most or had, had a loved one that worried the most. And I know a few people in, in, the, in the space that actually were very paranoid and shooting down everything that anyone wrote anywhere on Facebook just because they were so worried about people being nonchalant. So there are those. But there also are, also are people that just don't realise the severity or the possibility of severity of the, of the virus. So I think that there is a, it's a, not a simple answer of going, yes, I agree or no, I don't. I think... You know, there's people that just are nonchalant and just don't care. And they just want to get on with life because it's interrupted them so much. For instance, a homeless guy to the extreme, does he care? He's been on the streets the whole time. He can't buy food as it is. There's no one around for him to get money from. Does he care about being subjected to the virus? Good point. He's got the strongest immune system out of everyone mm -hmm. um, through a lack of knowledge, most probably, because he understands what's gone on. It's through a lack of caring because it's not the biggest priority. And that comes back down to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So, and then you've got the extreme, you've got the ultra wealthy um, who are paranoid and then don't want to lose their money. Or you've got ultra wealthy that are super informed and do everything to do with their health. And I know each of those. <laughs> um, so, all I can say is for me and the people that I know that I associate with my followers, my team or whatnot is that they say 
including myself, I weigh up the risk and I say I do everything I can to optimize my health. Everything is in within my knowledge and I'm continuing to learn. I know that our ancestors made it to this point in history um, and we evolved with viruses, with all the different things going on in the world. And when things become less natural, we start devolving or should I say getting sicker and sicker and sicker, but we live longer and longer and longer. Um, so I go, I trust evolution in, in terms of the millions of years of data or, or sorry, hundreds of thousands of years of us evolving, um, depending on your viewpoint of our ancestors <laughs> and evolution um, versus the data of the last hundred years where it's biased to money. So, and I go, what's the risk? Okay, potentially getting bad virus, um, potentially killing me. What are the risks? Well, that's the first thing I needed to figure out what the risks and keep on monitoring the data to see what those risks are. Obviously, there's uh, recently been a study coming out on vitamin D levels. And I think uh, Dr. I recorded with Dr. McCullough a few nights ago um, about um, a survey for your COVID risk called stopcovidcold.com and we were discussing the, the data that's come in that's really informing a lot of us guys and apparently there's a study that's been done where 96% of people that got quite ill from COVID were deficient in vitamin D and I can't remember the exact levels but deficient by functional medicine standards not allopathic medicine standards. But interestingly, and I think it was 96% as well, of people that had no symptoms and were fine with COVID had high levels of vitamin D. And I'm talking functional medicine levels, not traditional allopathic levels of vitamin D. Now, that doesn't mean just go and supplement with vitamin D. It means sunlight, grounding, nature, to make sure that your natural levels of vitamin D are optimal um, to minimize the risk. And I think people that look at the data like I do and have been like the jury's out, i.e. open to the data and not having an emotional response either way, um, are generally the ones that aren't worrying so much, including friends and influencers, the people I travel with as well. So it's about being informed then is what I'm hearing from you and, and a sense that you know how to get the right or the true information. Because well, I think a lot of people are being fed what they now believe, right? Their worldviews over the last six months have fundamentally changed. This time last year, we really didn't have much fear for viruses, generally speaking, in the populace. And now there very much is a uh, an incredible aversion and fear for any any pathogen, any external pathogen. And that is, as you say, ancestrally incredibly inconsistent. But people's worldview has absolutely been rewired over the last six months and if you don't know where to go and unwire yourself when if you don't know where to go and find the real information the real truth the real studies have the nuanced debate where it isn't just about scaremongering but it is a back and forth and trying to understand the concepts of virology biology microbiology as you say sub, um, supplementation health optimization unless you know where to go you've only got one source of information and that is biased towards scaring you right well, that's why I look at all the data and weigh it up. It's actually really interesting because a friend of mine once told me about a book. Um, she, Martin Tobias, that used to run Bulletproof Upgrade Labs, told me about a book called Thinking in Bets. Um, and it's by a female poker player champion. And it's about um, a really incredible book. And he told me this in the back of an Uber across London. And he didn't, I don't think he realized how much it changed my life, actually. But it was 
Um, if you have a hand of cards that has an 80% chance of winning, you're going to play that hand of cards every time because you know 800 times out of 1,000, it will win. You also know that 20 times out of 100 or 200 times out of 1,000, you are going to lose. But if you get a losing streak of 10 in a row of that 20%, you're not going to go, oh, I'm not going to play that hand anymore because then you're playing against the odds. Mm. Therefore, you will lose 10 in a row and you'll go, oh, no, I don't want to do that anymore. So the point is, is that obviously that's on the assumption that you have assessed the hand being an 80% <laughs> chance of winning. But the point is, is that I go with the odds and the other part of the book and you know, I'm belittling it, but these are just the two relevant things for this podcast is that how do you know when you made a good or a bad decision? Now, if you ask most people, they go, oh, um, and I don't know. And I say, okay, so what's the last bad decision you made? And they say, oh, well, when I started dating such and such, for instance. So like, why do you think that that's a bad decision? They said, oh, because it ended badly. So, okay, so first of all, your decision wasn't bad because you, you dealt with it with what you had at that moment in time, the data that you had to go by. Did you assess this person well before you chose, before you, you know, dated them? Yes, I did. Okay, so the outcome is different from the decision. You can't, be, you can't then tarnish the decision and say it's a bad decision because of the outcome. They're irrelevant, okay? Um, so what you need to do is you go, I'm gonna make the best decision I can and the outcome, okay, I will detach myself from the best I can. So those two factors, when it comes to this whole COVID situation, especially with me traveling um, around Europe for 10 weeks, is, okay, let's look at the data. What are the odds that I am one of the ones that are going to be hit badly? Okay, what do I do to minimize those that risk and those odds? Um, and it's what I'm doing at the moment with my health. Um, what are the chances um, of it being bad? Uh, okay, at the time it was less than 1%. So it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go with the odds of 99%. I know that if I was going for a surgery and it had a 99% success rate, I would go with it. Well, it's the same with my traveling and risking COVID. So I'm not going to destroy my life as a result. Um, there is a risk. And if something happens, I'm well aware of that and I'm willing to deal with the consequences. Um, so that's that's really where I think and I think if everyone else sat and thought about it, they would go, well, actually, I'm a higher risk. Okay, optimize your health. How can you reduce that risk? How can you minimize the chance of you getting a bad reaction to it? And then looking at the data to confirm or deny that. And for me, the studies around vitamin D, around having vitamin C IV, if you start getting a cold or the flu, um, making sure that you're doing height um, like if you do get COVID, then you have hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Um, yeah, you have hyperbaric oxygen therapy because in um, tests it's shown to be better than being on a respirator, apparently, and I can't quantify or send you resources on that, but, you know, this is what I hear from colleagues. Um, you know, how do I minimise these risks and then go about your normal life? And if someone says, well, I'm super high risk, okay, do something about it. Don't just sit there and moan and lock yourself down and ruin the rest of your life as a result. So that's my that's my viewpoint on it. And I appreciate that's quite deep and abstract at the same time. It isn't. It isn't. I think you're talking to agency. You're talking to about you're talking to risk management. And you're talking to host health, right? This 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 seems to be completely um absent, really, um, from the discussion in the public domain. Host health is given lip service, i.e. those that meet these criteria are more likely to come unstuck than those who aren't. So that gives lip service to the fact, okay, there are 
compromised individuals, susceptible individuals, and there are people that are less susceptible. But there mm. is no discussion on the, how do I make myself less susceptible? Why do we mm. talk about host health? Because we can talk about, you know, the germ theory all you want, but really your ability to construct a good enough response and or completely eliminate said pathogen is through your body being robust and not being taxed with chronic inflammation and things going on internally that make you more susceptible. So I hope that in time, we stop giving lip service to obesity, diabetes, hypertension, all that kind of stuff. And instead, we get we get down to brass tacks. And we talk about what it takes for someone to quickly step into a place of better metabolic health, and therefore in better immune health. And I think this conversation will take us partway there. Because Tim, I kind of set this set the stage up of this discussion that I think a lot of people now agreed your niche is a niche. <laughs> uh, the people you interact with are, you know, the one percenters in terms of how they reflect on, you know, self-optimization, self-care. But that isn't the public majority. Mm. It really isn't. And I think you know that. Um, the mm. public majority are a little bit unstuck right now as to direction of their life, uh, momentum, um, doing the things that they consider normal and ha healthy and happy, you know, social interaction, looking after themselves, going to the gym, eating well constantly, not having those five, you know, three, four glasses of wine every night. You know, people are a little bit lost. And what I find that when people are letting go um, because of circumstance, it's difficult to get them back on track, focused on going to the gym or whatever it is they were doing previously, and then layering on top of that, some additional care. Now, what you've said is maybe this is the point of focus. Maybe the the risk associated to COVID-19 is the wake-up call. And I think you're right. I think this gives people time, space um, to experiment and to commit to things they otherwise wouldn't have had the time and space to do because they were traveling, because they were focused on other things. But I also think it's the time. If, if there was one time <laughs> in the 40 years I've been here that really puts a finer point on wellness, it's this year. Mm. And therefore, I think this is prime for people like you to talk about biohacking. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, that term sounds a bit too technical. That yeah, term I sounds a bit too abstract and uh, highfalutin mm. and you know, beyond where I am. Right now, I just need to fix my shit. <laughs> and you're talking yeah, about yeah. optimization. So help bring bring some context to biohacking and how it is relevant to now. I think, first of all, um, I won't labor on the point, but yeah, biohacking has got a negative association with it because people don't understand it. I did a podcast, a live podcast about six or eight months ago uh, in front of an audience of 500. And they sat, they got me on stage and on the podcast because biohacking is an interesting term. They, they wanted a really deep conversation to try and tear it apart. And I started off and they said, well, what is biohacking? I said, it's health optimization. <laughs> now, the media and industries um, and TV shows, which are often fueled by certain industries, put biohacking in a negative light, i.e. people that are editing genes or editing cats so that they glow in the dark or all these crazy things or transhumanists that put mm. implants under their skin, um, which are now associated, obviously, with tracking people with COVID yeah. and things like that and all the scared, scary things in the future, just to be clear, that is not biohacking. That's transhumanism uh, for implants and things like that. 
gene editing and whatnot is CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R. Um, biohacking by its true definition is the art and science of optimizing your health, the environment inside of you and outside of you using nature and technology where needed. That's basically the definition of biohacking. Now, I obviously relabeled it in the UK to be health optimization because of the feedback from everyone. And over 80% of people that come to the summit last year didn't even know what biohacking was. And they were completely new to the tribe, even though they went, yeah, this is me. I'm a health optimizer. I'm a biohacker. And they didn't even know it. And then they found their tribe and we created a movement because they wouldn't have come to the summit if it had been called a biohacking conference or a biohacking mm. summit because the British specifically don't resonate with the biohacking term. In America, Dave Asprey's done a very good job, very, very good job of helping the US understand it. But in the UK, we're a little bit more reserved and uh, aware of things like this. So I think health optimization is exactly what it is. The goal, the mindset of doing what you need to do to optimize your health based on data of you know what's right and I think it's a matter of filtering out that data and making sure you're looking at the right stuff and says bias it's really that simple I would say you're right about the labeling of biohacking um I don't, I don't think it falls into this camp entirely but it, it sits in that kind of smeared bucket of terms such as conspiracy theorist or uh, functional medicine practitioner or chiropractor or um, allopath, uh, sorry, um, naturopathic medicine. Like all of these are just a bit woo, a little bit. You've lost the plot. You're not following yeah. the status quo. Therefore, you know you, you've just gone geek. You've gone down the rabbit hole, um, and you're not seeing the wood for the trees. I'm not saying that's my perception. I'm saying that I think that generally it does have that kind of smearing. I, I agree. I completely agree. And that's how crazy it is with humanity right now. That grounding, taking your shoes off and getting on the grass, which can be quantified with health, by the way. You can look at the red blood cells before and after and see the difference um, in red blood cell, um, see that they're equidistant, or you can check the body voltage to see what happens when you ground. All of the things I talk about are quantified, and yet we need studies as humans to prove that something that we evolved with works. Mm -hmm. And that is the ridiculousness, like eating, eating plants and vegetables or grass-fed, or should I say natural meat, is it, we have to have studies to prove that it's good or bad, but processed food or like, don't need a study for that. Yeah, chemicals <laughs> or whatever that we didn't evolve with. Well, if I look at the risk, they've been around little time. Health has decreased significantly in that time. What are the odds that the stuff that we've been around with for thousands and thousands of years is okay, and the stuff that's been around for about a hundred years that we've not been okay? What are the odds? 80, 20 thinking in bets. So I think that's that's how crazy it is. And I think it is labeled as woo because it's not necessarily medicine or science, so so to speak. But a lot of the things are in the biohacking space are actually quantified. Like grounding, for instance, is a classic example of where certain industries, um, not to be labeled, don't like uh, don't like um, things that don't sell uh, or, yeah, or more absolutely. importantly, medicine. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a conflict, and I, I understand the conflict that, or the, the situation they're in. Pharmaceutical companies have a responsibility to pay, pay dividends and increase share price. The bigger responsibility is to improve people's health, and should which be. is why manufacturing should be, but it, it was first do no harm. 
Um, it was, but the problem is it's always chasing profits. And I understand the predicament they're in because they have a legal responsibility to the shareholders, but also they have a moral responsibility to the people taking the drugs. Um, and I just think that my opinion is that, for instance, emergency care is amazing. The medical system is amazing for that. If someone's life needs saving in the moment, it's amazing. Chronic health is not so good. Chronic health is hide symptoms and symptoms are messages to tell us to that something's going on and we need to look at the root cause of it. Medicine at the moment doesn't do that. So I think if we say nature first, i.e. reverse the toxicities and the issues that we've had first, and then medicine second, we're in a stronger place. And I think the future will bring that, just not yet because of the whole shareholders <laughs> legal responsibility. But I do think the more and more people that are in this space that are seeing great results from, and I'm not just talking biohacking, but from functional medicine or preventative healthcare or the longevity space, which is, you know, more tech billionaires behind it than you can count, they're driving innovation and really fueling the future for health. And I think biohacking is just, I guess, the the end user playing around with a lot of this stuff without a lot of guidance generally but there are a few biohackers such as dave or ben greenfield or um trying to think of a few others some of the big names chris Gaffin, those kind of chris guys. yeah yeah um that are basically spreading awareness to this and you know if it didn't work people wouldn't talk about it mm. and if medicine worked people wouldn't be looking for an alternative so if it worked people would talk about it more people will adopt it it will become more mainstream if something doesn't work you know like for instance if they bring out a new apple iphone and it doesn't work there's only a certain amount of time they can keep on selling it before people don't want it anymore and then if samsung bring out a phone that is absolutely amazing and runs circles around the iphone people are just going to start buying that we vote we vote with our money or or our decisions so it's only a matter of time before one overtakes the other and i think the sooner the medical world, or should I say the pharmaceutical industry, adopts or accepts that instead of just fighting it, I think that we will have the result of plenty of profits for them, much more health for us, and happier life as a result. And that's really where I believe things will come to, eventually. Yeah, I, I, obviously, I think it's naive to think that transition is going to happen anytime soon. And when I say soon, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, the next decade or so is paved out for medical uh, innovation, right? You know, we we'll just take a look at the current situation. There are 240 COVID, va COVID vaccines in development right now. 240 for one, one diseased state that so far has caused some harm, but nowhere near the harm that other diseases that we see recurrently throughout um, the globe. Yet, 240 vaccines are a bit in development. Six or so are in. Um, stage three clinical trials across tens of thousands of individuals. And yet there's this um, very cheap anti-malaria drug. So it's an antiviral called hydroxychloroquine. It's worth next to nothing. It's been out for 40 odd years. There are um, doctors all over the world saying, we've used this as a treatment protocol for COVID-19 with zinc, and we've seen good results. We haven't lost anyone since using this protocol. And yet the pushback from the medical institutions, which aren't just the pharmaceutical companies, but it's all the institutions that connect off of that, whether it be the regulators and so forth, of saying, ignore that, don't use it, ban it across the world. 
And the reason they're saying that is if there is a known therapy that works, that's efficacious, there cannot be a regulated push towards driving vaccines into the marketplace. A vaccine can only come if it's truly needed. And therefore, you see the, you see that, maybe stronger word, the sinister nature of the, the well, this pharmaceutical world, the, the giant monolithic pharmaceutical world is driven by ensuring there is a need for their products. Because when they're spending billions and billions on their products, including just the R&D alone, let alone the manufacturer, they need, they need the comfort that people are going to buy it. And whilst there's a therapy out there that is effective, if that is endorsed and approved, then this whole vaccine rush would fall on its face. And that, for me, is exposing just how profit-driven and ideology-driven the pharmaceutical world is. It is really not focused on our health. Mm. Mm. I don't know if you're aware aware of that and, you know, some of the kind of puts and takes that prevent medicine from advancing or are prerequisites to medicine advancing but this is rife all over the uh, pharmaceutical industry there needs mm-hmm. to be a proven need for something to be deployed especially in emergencies such as a vaccine um if you go to a butcher he's going to sell you meat if you go to a greengrocer's you can buy vegetables he will not think about which carrots or potatoes at the butchers that that you should be buying because there's not a financial interest in it and that's not his specialty. If you go to a vaccine making company, and I'm just to be clear, I'm not pro and I'm not against vaccines because I do think there has been some that have worked and they've worked very well. And then an industry has borne out of the ones that have worked well to have a lot of them because they're a big money maker. So I think, you know, I'm not pro or against, just to be clear. I understand. Yeah, I understand it. But I do think that if someone has a pharmaceutical company or a vaccine making company or whatever you want to call it, they are going to do their best to capitalize on it and to help the greater population because they know that in the industry. If you go to a naturopathic doctor, you think about what he can do from a naturopathic perspective. We all look for our own lens. That's it. Like we all look through our own lens from our, for instance, our parents govern how we act today we look through our own lens and it's the same with our parenting or upbringing as to how we deal with the world it's the same with our industry of our career and where we're passionate about doctors for instance don't get into into medicine to um not help people they get into help people their training or where things are today is what prevents them from getting a lot of people to health, but they also help a lot of people. But a lot of them are realizing, I think, from what I hear, that they are in handcuffs almost and they can't speak out and they can't help innovate. But on the other hand, a lot of people, if, if doctors or the, uh, the health industry or pharmaceutical industry listened to every single thing that every single person talked about, I went to the doctor and went, oh, I've been trying, you know, turmeric and it's been amazing for this, that or the other. If he listened to everything, he wouldn't have any basis to form his recommendations on. So there has to be some area of formal training for them to know what to accept. And innovate innovations or things are moving so quickly, even during COVID times, of what we're learning about health and the body and what's becoming more mainstream, that it's a never-ending change and it's very difficult to keep up with. So I appreciate where everyone comes from. I think if everyone changed their mind from what do we need to do to get to health, 
then the world will change very quickly. I agree. So, I agree. Um, um, I was I was just gonna I was gonna key off your ancestral versus tech piece because I, I was thinking about this, Tim, and I actually think I brought this up with Chris Gethin as well. Um, mm. My bias is to commit to ancestrally consistent behaviors wherever wherever possible. Um, and I'm doing more and more of that as I get older. The, the more I age and the more I look at this and the more I learn, the more I realize that simplification, ancestrally consistent behaviors and decluttering my world of data and information is a place to kind of aspire to. But at the same time, I know biohacking, and you've mentioned a couple of people such as Ben Greenfield or Dave Asprey. I mean, they're on the leading edge. I mean, the amount of supplements Dave Asprey takes, I mean, he's, I'm surprised he doesn't rattle. He takes hundreds a day from what I understand when I listen to his show. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, these guys are spending hundreds of thousands, if not millions a year on various processes, procedures, stem cells, stuff, all that kind of thing. They're spending a lot of money to want to live a long time and live young through that time. So they're maybe not the best beacon for the everyday person because they've got the money and the obsession and they're willing to use technology to try and outsmart human physiology. So help me understand from your perspective what that balance is between ancestrally consistent behaviors and kind of simplification and decluttering of life to the use of technology, whether it be data collection, monitoring, uh, smart devices, surgery, supplements, various things like that, medical procedures. Help me understand where you think the balance is to living well today. Mm. I trust our ancestors and evolution. So what we had in, um, and what our ancestors had is what, should prevail or be the majority. The point is the world isn't where our ancestors were. We don't live in caves on grass, um, grounded out every night. We don't walk without shoes. We walk with rubber shoes on. Um, We don't have clean oxygen, clean air. We live in cities that have pollution. Have lots Um, of radiation. Lots of EMS. Lots of plastic. You know, there's, we don't see sunrise every morning. We're not woken with it. We're working with, you know, working with bedroom lights or, or whatnot. Um, we don't see sunset for its um, the red light element. We have fake lighting late at night, which stops us producing melatonin. So there are elements of where we can't connect with nature where we should. And we can't all be hermits living in, you know, a cave in the middle of nowhere. Just It's just not, just wouldn't work. So... My opinion is that where you can't get those things, you use biohacking or biohacks to reverse that. And the line I often say is um, biohacking is using uh, technology to mimic a natural environment in an unnatural world. So, for instance, if you can't get to nature and get your shoes off, for instance, because when we do stand on grass or in the sea, we get uh, transfer of free electrons from the earth. And uh, those free electrons pair with free radicals. So it's an antioxidant. It's one of the best things you can do for inflammation and healing. It's the the other part of our battery. Positive photons come from the sun. We get energy from our food, but we also then connect with the ground, which gives us the free electrons. And I talk about grounding or earthing an awful lot. But if you can't get your shoes off because you're in 
trainers all day working in top man or something, you know, then get a grounding bed sheet, which connects to the earthing socket of your house, not the not the electric part, um, which gives you the transfer of free electrons from the earth because it comes via the earthing system for the house, um, which is using technology to reverse technological advancements, <laughs> you see. If you're not getting to see sunset or you have a health issue and you need to heal a bit better, then red light therapy is amazing to block out the blue light after sunset in the house um, or fake lights or your devices or whatnot. You use blue blocking glasses, which are the ones with the orange lenses that most of us biohackers wear. You know, that's the single biggest thing you can do to optimize your sleep, to help your mind switch off before bed is wear a pair of blue blockers for the two hours before bed. Your body thinks it's nighttime opposed to daylight because of the fake blue light and you sleep. You sleep really well and you can track this. You know, I wear an aura ring. Most biohackers have some sort of sleep device to track their sleep and whatnot. If you start wearing blue blockers within two days, you'll notice a big difference in your data straight away. So really, all we're doing is reversing technology using technology where needed, but the default, and it's the same with medicine, we're using medicine to reverse toxicities or health issues, but really nature should come first and um, technology or medicine should come second. If nature doesn't work, then incorporate the other things. That's my point. I actually did a post about it on Instagram uh, very recently, um, which is talking about biohacking on a budget because a lot of people say it's for rich kids and unreachable. It's not, you know, you don't have to have hyperbaric oxygen therapy, at 150 pounds an hour. You can go and do breath work in the garden grounded uh, every day, Wim Hof style. And, you know, he's studied and has broken all sorts of records. You know, you can do that. You don't have to buy hydration sachets. You can use Celtic sea salt, which is completely natural and has 78 trace elements, minerals in it, um, which is the most hydrating thing you can do versus table salt, which is one mineral, which is a chemical byproduct that actually dehydrates you and causes blood pressure issues. Um, you know, you, you can go to an organic store like Planet Organic or Whole Foods and buy organic food, or you can live near in the countryside and buy from the local farmer from the farmer's market um, or live you know for instance out in croatia they don't sell organic food because most of it's just grown locally and taken to the stores so you know you only incorporate these biohacks when you need to you know i wouldn't use a grounding mat when i'm in a tent camping <laughs> uh, or i wouldn't use the blue blockers when i'm in a tent without any light other than yeah, firelight yeah. so so really i mean i think it's a misconception around biohacking and how to integrate these things but like with everything as time goes by things evolve and we get more data and we optimize it like if you look at the ketogenic diet from you know three four years ago and before it peaked um people were talking about how amazing the ketogenic diet is for um epilepsy how it's good for energy how it's good for uh, gut resets and all these things and a lot of people were just doing keto i.e eating super high fat and, and boshing exogenous ketones every day but in fact while they help fix their gut it wasn't sustainable and they ruined their or they damaged their liver from not actually having a rounded diet um, and then they call it keep dirty keto and say, well, actually, no, it's about metabolic flexibility, which is incorporating, you know, a higher fat, lower carb, eating very natural and clean, not just buying keto cookies. Um, so it's like, you know, and they learn and then people start talking about it. And I think we're constantly evolving. And I think biohacking is doing exactly the same right now. And I think with the world on lockdown and everyone taking health so seriously or the virus so seriously, I think it's giving us a lot of 
um, it's leaping us forward. It's leaping us uh, forward a lot, very, very quickly because health optimization is on everyone's mind. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're bang on the money. I really do. Um, I also think that there's maybe one, one highlight we need to bring from what you've just said. Uh, I wondered your thoughts on this. You, you spoke about how ancestrally consistent behaviours should be your priority. Nature should be your priority, and where the gaps exist. Hey, um, there's not a lot of sun during the winter months of your northern climate um, locations, or as you say, you're working indoors, you're working in a box, you're driving in a box, you're sleeping in a box all day long. Mm. Okay, how how can you mitigate that? I get that. I understand where technology has its place when your life really doesn't have the freedom or the opportunity to explore nature the way it should be explored. However, is it not fair to say that people are perhaps just like with the supplement in industry, they're too quick to go for the supplement before they can before they fully fully acknowledge and optimize their diet. Is it not the same in biohacking? Are people not a little too quick to buy the device because the device claims to do X, Y, and Z when if they really thought about it, they could carve out 20 minutes, half an hour, etc., to you know, walk out barefoot or to get some sun, sun, sunshine on their skin, walk in without their top off, walk in the dog. There's means, there's means to um, engage with nature, which I think are perhaps being short-circuited because there's, you know, newfangled technology on the market. Do you, do you agree on, or disagree with that? Uh, both, um, <laughs> as always, because it's not as black and white as that. But I think number one is that everyone wants to try and make a living. Everyone wants to try and do good. Often, um, People want to do good, but money does bias them. Um, there's a consumer-driven world, and we're all quick to buy stuff, but we've all been programmed that a pill for every ill is normal. So <clears throat> instead of people going, medicine isn't working for my health, I'm going to go and buy some natural supplements. It's exactly the same thinking with a different thing, yeah. opposed to going, you know, how can I look at the bigger picture here? Um, it's not just about taking a pill. And I think the people that have the biggest gains change their lifestyle, not just take, ch- change the pill they're putting in their mouth. And the people that want the quick fix eventually, well, like myself, I'm not going to deny it. 10 years ago, I was popping various supplements and doing different gut cleanses left, right and center um, because I thought that that was the way because it's based on the same medical model, just not with medicines. Um, but when you say, well, actually, you know, it's a lifestyle change. I need to ground. I need to get sunlight. I need to make sure that I'm eating food without additives in. I need to make sure that my digestion's up to scratch eating some fermented foods like our ancestors would. Um, these days, the biohack obviously would be sauerkraut or equivalent. Um, when you change your lifestyle, then the best wins come. And we can't heal in the environment that we got sick in. So <clears throat> I'll give you an example just quickly as, as to why. is For me, when I was in Croatia, and I was there for quite a while, I think it was nearly a month, um, I was eating fresh fish every day, not farmed fish. Um, I was eating vegetables, you know, potatoes with local butter, for instance, and fish every day. I didn't crave meat. I didn't crave salad because I was getting a lot of energy from the sun and I was swimming in the sea every day. My skin was the best it's ever been. I wasn't getting sunburned. I was grounding every day. My brain was on fire, um, is in like super sharp. I was really productive three hours every day working with my, my coffee in the morning. And, um, then I come back to I get on the train to go to Budapest and, and um, I really I look down and there's a plastic floor 
on a metal tube with Wi-Fi bouncing around in it, eating, a, you know, not a snack bar, but a nut, yeah, kind of like a, a protein nut bar, thinking, you know, my body was flourishing in nature and it really was. It was the best I felt as far as I can remember um, to this fake environment, you know, where I'm wearing shoes on a pavement or in a train. So I think... <clears throat> I really think that it's a, a lifestyle change and we don't realize how comfortable living in a house with air conditioning or central heating and packet food with preservatives, how much of a difference that actually makes. And it's all the 1% everywhere that add up to a massive negative, um, which means that, you know, we can't flourish. And that's where we are today. But the reality of it is, you know, buy organic, buy wild fish, do, do the best we can um and um you know and and just be mindful of that but the more and more you go down the rabbit hole the more and more you realize that you know the current way isn't working and to improve which is why some people become super extreme because they realize the more they learn the more that the normal way is holding them back mm. yeah no i hear you man and and it, it's the same for me you know I've, I've i've got money to have all the widgets and all the gizmos and i have like you had all the widgets and the gizmos and the supplements and have gone all in on various things in my life. But um, the more I look at the data, the more I understand the science, the more I kind of follow my intuition and the more uh, I respect evolution and our ancestry ancestral path, the more I realize stripping back from the, from, from modernity is probably the healthiest thing I could do while still having modernity available, while still having A&E available, while still having the means to be able to, you know, my wife to be able to give birth without it being horrific. Like those things are uh, modern technological inventions you wouldn't want to do without. I wouldn't want to do without my Wi-Fi. I wouldn't want to do without this, you know, the means in which I learn through the internet. But it also has every convenience has a downside. And I think the more you start to realize convenience is somewhat negative to health and if you can find a way to balance that and say okay i'm going to get all the conveniences and the, the modern touches of life because it, it's helping us flourish at least you know mentally in terms of our expansion and our innovation we've got to find a way to kind of reconnect with our center with our soul with our kind of uh, ancestral path i think if we can do both of those things and biohacking is a means to go and at least explore that whether you want to be tech oriented in that orientation and explore the the devices and the data or you want to go okay what what is the other message of biohacking and the other message of biohacking is you know respect your ancestral path and do as much of that as possible um so maybe we can close on this then tim um this has been a lovely discussion and thank you for the back and forth and thank you for not being a yes man and agreeing with what i say uh, and giving us alternative perspectives i really enjoy that how can we and I think I know some of these answers. Um, how can we take from this discussion someone listening who's not really into this space but recognizes health is important, especially this year, and they want to take some practical, accessible, low-budget choices towards improving their health and therefore their robustness against external pathogens or chronic disease what would you say hey these are the five things i would tell you to go do right away if you're not already doing mm -hmm. yeah, yeah um number one is optimize your sleep um optimize your sleep like a pro now i wonder how many people are listening actually meditate every day or need to calm themselves down or have their meditation practice of some description 
but they don't necessarily sleep properly. I find the people that are most stressed often sleep the worst when you start tracking them and they meditate the most as a result. And even a couple of very well-known meditators, uh, friends of mine, I've worked with with their sleep and they need to meditate less afterwards because as Dalai Lama once says, the best form of meditation is sleep. So number one is sleep, nail that. Um, get an aura ring, a Fitbit, whatever, and track to see what your sleep is like, your deep sleep, etc. So people, for instance, will say, oh, I'm a great sleeper even after I've had a strong coffee. Okay, some people are super fast metabolizers. I'm not going to deny that. But when you do look at people that aren't super fast metabolizers that have had coffee before bed, they may sleep and they may feel rested. But in fact, they haven't had the sleep stages as they're supposed to for proper healing. And we sleep to use the energy that we have collected through the day to reverse the damage that we've done through the day. So if we're not sleeping properly and we're not respecting our sleep, we're not going to reverse the damage we've done during the day. So if there's one thing that you do is optimize that. If there's one biohack that I do recommend for that, it is blue blocking glasses because you can't get away from blue light unless you live on a campsite with a campfire. The blue light is very blue. It stops our melatonin production. Melatonin is our sleep hormone as well as an antioxidant and um, is very good for our health in balanced in a balanced way. And um, as a result, blue blocking glasses help that sleep and melatonin production. So that's number one. Um, if you um, if you go to bed late for whatever reason, and when you start wearing blue blockers, you fall asleep a lot quicker. So you'll become, you won't be a night owl. In fact, the night owl gene is so minimum in reality that not many people ever have it. Yet so many people call themselves a night owl. That's the blue light. So optimize your sleep. You know, I've got several posts on Instagram talking about the things to do to optimize your sleep. Um, Dave Asprey and his book, Superhuman talks about it as well. Uh, so there's there's quite a few good sleep hacks out there, but number one is blue blocking glasses. Uh, then there's hydration optimization. Um, we're electrical creatures, our veins are wires, and they move nutrients around our body, but they also help with um, transporting minerals around. And if we haven't got minerals in our body, then we have um, bad circuitry. Most people drink tap water, which is processed, which is very low in minerals and high in toxicities. If you filter your water, you need to uh, add minerals back in anyway. Uh, so I add a pinch of uh, Celtic sea salt to every glass of water, one on waking straight away, because that helps flush out the toxins and support your adrenals on waking, and then before bed as well. Uh, so hydration optimization. When you add minerals into your water, you don't need to drink so much water. You, you are less thirsty um, because you're getting the minerals that you need from less water. Um, so water obviously has two purposes. It's to hydrate, which is uh, in terms of minerals and to flush out toxins as well. That's the dual purpose. Now we drink water, which flushes out toxins and more and more people are drinking more and more water, but not getting enough minerals so that they're peeing more because they've got mineral imbalances. So when you add the right minerals in, your electrical system works well, your adrenals are supported, you detox properly, detoxify the chemicals from day to day properly, and um, it's it's amazing. So on, just sorry, just on that briefly, you talk about a bit of, a bit of salt, whether it be Himalayan or Celtic. Is there is is that enough for the everyday person if they're just getting started on this, or do they should they be thinking about magnesium? Should they be thinking about zinc? Should they be thinking about other means of getting kind of mineral blends or drops, etc.? No, 
No, not at all, unless their doctor tells them otherwise, functional medicine doctor, in my opinion. Um, you you want to look at tests to do deficiency tests on a cellular level before you start taking zinc or magnesium or any of these things. The, the chances are someone is going to be deficient in magnesium because they're not getting, getting enough minerals from their food because they're eating non-organic, which are even more mineral deficient non-organic are. But if you're adding Celtic sea salt in, it's 78 trace elements and minerals, which will help hydrate you from the inside out. So we'll help with all of it. Um, adding in magnesium is not a bad thing for anyone, but some people take it before sleep and then it keeps them awake because it upregulates certain processes. Other people, it helps them sleep. Um, so, so yeah, I wouldn't take supplements unless you have to and when you know you need them. And that's generally through the right testing. Yeah. Um, I won't go into the tests right now. But no, yeah. no, that, that, that's good. Thank you for answering that, man. So I, I, was, I was stopping you mid-flow. You was about to hit number three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, number three is sunlight and grounding, and I pair the two together because it's the the we're a bio circuit board. When we have our feet on grass or in water, we're we're getting free electrons um, from the earth, and um, when we're in the sun, we're getting positive photons from the sun. Or should I say, when we when there's natural light, we're getting positive photons because there is light where there's light, there is energy. Um, so sunlight and grounding, getting at least 40 minutes a day of grounding in um, is important and massive health benefits come from that. There's a lot of studies out there um, and uh, there's a lot of N equals one tests as well from people changing that. Sunlight, obviously we get vitamin D as well as other things and vitamin D is actually a hormone. Um, they labeled it as a vitamin before they realized that the body could produce it. Um, so it's classed as a, a vitamin, but it's really a hormone. So having optimized vitamin D or hormone D helps regulate so many different hormones and processes in your immune system massively. Uh, so getting natural sun first. And if you, if you're of darker skin in the Northern hemisphere, I would really recommend optimizing vitamin D properly. Um, because the highest rate of prostate cancer in men is in the northern countries with darker skin because of the vitamin D deficiency. So sunlight and grounding is um, the next one. And and to just double click into that, just to make sure we're clear, um, I agree with you 100%. I walk, I walk out barefoot. I've got a little kind of plot. I, I walk my, my dog around. It takes half an hour or so. And wherever I can, I take my shoes off, try and avoid all the spiky plants and stuff in the grass and that can sometimes be a problem uh, but I try and do that even when it's dewy and wet and I take my top off for as much as I can I don't care that people see me I prefer to get the sunlight on my skin because it's not just being out in sun right you need your skin to be exposed to it and the more skin the better however you know we're, we're butting up to autumn now in the UK and soon those behaviors that I've just described are going to become impractical it's going to be too wet it's going to be particularly bright and sunny in the autumn winter, does your guidance change around sun exposure, grounding, or how to address no. or mitigate the lack thereof? Well, no, I mean, getting out in natural light is is um, good because you're still getting light energy. You're just not getting as much of it. So um, we do store vitamin D. Um, so we do have reserves of it. It just doesn't drop overnight. Um, grounding, some people say, oh, it's too cold to get out on the grass. We evolved outside and um, standing out on the grass for 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes a day while you're playing on Instagram or doing whatever is very easy. Mm -hmm. um, it's also classed as a hermetic stressor as well. You don't well. even need to be moving then, you're saying. You can literally just be still yeah, yeah. with your yeah. shoes off and you're good. Exactly, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so um, even if it's cold, it's classed as a hermetic stressor. 
um, which is puts the body a little bit under stress so it knows how to adapt and actually becomes more resilient. A friend of mine, Sim Lan, recently wrote a book all about hermetic stress um, and why our bodies adapt and why it's good because obviously the extreme is being wrapped in cotton wool your whole life and never having any outside resilience at all, which goes back to the homeless guy from earlier. You know, they're probably, you haven't heard of any homeless deaths. So I'd be really interested to see how many have actually contracted Corona mm. um, from living on the streets and having lots of bacteria and subjected to viruses all day, every day. They're pretty resilient. And that's a, you know, a pretty strong hermetic stressor. <laughs> being out on the yeah, streets. It's quite paradoxical, isn't it? But I, I agree with you. Whilst I don't have the data, I'd expect that they are relatively robust mm. against this, albeit I'm sure they've got other issues, other health issues that manifest from malnutrition and uh, mm. drink over, uh, you know, overuse, etc. cetera. Mm. Um, so the next one is um, uh, basically breathing and oxygen. So I'm a big fan of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And when I was more extreme in technologies, I actually opened a hyperbaric oxygen clinic in London um, because I loved it so much and it was expensive to use. So I, I decided to have a clinic instead. Um, but really, hyperbaric oxygen therapy is great if you have health issues going on. It's very well documented with people that have got diabetic foot wounds for healing. And it really does help the body heal from the inside out better. Alternatively, you can do Wim Hof breathing or uh, breathing exercises every day to oxygenate the body better. Um, what so, is it? What is hyperbaric oxygen therapy? Hyperbaric oxygen therapy is when you're in a like a diving chamber, um, man-sized, and they administer around 95 to 99% oxygen at a, a, up to two or three atmospheric pressures. Um, basically, so you're under pressure, you don't necessarily feel it too much, um, but what that does is it means more oxygen dissolves in the blood. Right. and as into cellular oxygen, which means that the body then operates as it should do on the assumption that you're deficient in some way. Um, and so a lot of people find that they have mental clarity, much better mental clarity, much better energy, and um, things like wounds heal very, very, very quickly. And I can speak personally about this because you know, I had it every day for an hour and a half uh, for three weeks after surgery and the, the, the wound should have taken several months to heal it healed within three weeks and the surgeon said it's a miracle and i said no it's hyperbaric and he said it's a miracle um so i mean i again i can speak on a personal basis as well as all the studies and all the science and i've been to all the conferences about it and, um Are they relatively available in the uk or is that still more yeah. of a kind of u.s centric thing it's, no, it's, it's very available in the UK now. There's a company called Henshaw Hyperbarics. Uh, I've actually got one in my home now. Um, although I do breathing exercises every morning and sometimes hyperbaric before bed, I find that my respiratory rate comes down through the night. My heart rate comes down through the night. Heart rate variability shoots up um, because my heart's having to pump less blood around to get the oxygen to the body to heal it. So I find it's a very good modality, but it is a luxury. You know, breathwork, Wim Hof style. And Wim Hof did a, an episode on Goop with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. He's a record breaker. He's an amazing, amazing human being that breaks all, all rules um, in terms of what should be possible. Uh, so brilliant. I recommend- so funny as well. I recommend anyone watch that episode of Goop, Wim Hof breathing. So yeah, breathing oxygen. And then um, I don't talk about diet and nutrition particularly um, because I feel like there's so many gurus and experts out there that can talk about it better than me. What I do talk about the final two that I will mention is oral interferences. So if you've had previous dental work, 
such as extractions or root canals, um, seeing a biological dentist because a lot of sinus issues, headache issues, neck issues um, have been shown to come from root canal treated teeth or um, cavitations from previous extracted teeth. It's becoming more and more mainstream, but my very good friend, Dr. Dominic Nitschwitz, who's a speaker at the summit in January, is the leading biological dentist in the world now. And um, yeah, he talks about ceramic implants instead of metal implants because the, the osteo integrates properly. Um, it clears out um, what we call NECOs or cavitations in the jawbone that is basically dead necrosis bone. Um, I was found to have six cubic centimeters apparently in my jaw bones in total when I had it and I had chronic health issues much worse before I had my teeth um, done and a sinus surgery done as well. And you know, in the UK, they just said, oh, you've got a cyst in, in your sinuses. We don't know why. Well, when it was opened up by a biological dentist, it was like, well, actually, here you go. You've got a huge infection cavitation sitting there as well. Because so you had metal, metal fillings. Previously, I had metal fillings, yeah, which um, amalgam interferes with enzymatic reactions. It, the bone doesn't like it. It stops working, therefore the bone doesn't um, maintain its strength like it would do before. Um, and all sorts of issues happen from mercury. I mean, it's a toxic chemical. If you break a thermometer in a school, they evacuate the school. And yet we have a, you know, a solid form of it in our mouths and we're, we're led to believe it's safe. It's not. And I've experience firsthand what it does to my jaw, um, to my teeth and many others as well. So I implore everyone to look at Dr. Dominic Nitschwitz. He's on YouTube and Instagram. Um, he's amazing and he really speaks sense. He's a naturopathic doctor. He's a, um, he was trained by Dr. Klinghart in um, various different things. He's the, one of the leading ceramic implantologists in the world. He's also a biological dentist and brings all of these things together. He's also a bodybuilder um, from natural, you know, natural games. And he's an incredible human being, along with three kids, a wife, and um, lives the dream in terms of biohacking. He didn't even know what biohacking was until a year ago. Oh, so, I mean, really eat, sleep and breathe. And where practice. is he based? Uh, he's in Germany, near Stuttgart. Right. Uh, but maybe, maybe you should have a chat with him because I think for people that have had sinus issues or headaches, migraines and things like that, um, or chronic health issues that they can't get to the bottom of, then, um, you know, biological dentistry is really the future of, well, it's basically uh, the future of health, in my opinion, because health starts in the mouth. You know, if people have gut issues, uh, often the bacteria in their mouth is out of balance. If people have candida or systemic yeast in their gut, which again is controversial, and a lot of doctors, if they listen to this, will shake their head and said, you don't get candida. Well, okay, that's in the old mindset in my opinion. Um, but yeah, people have got high levels in their mouth and filters down to their gut. So their gut's never going to be right until they fix their mouth. Mm. Um, and you can have leaky gums, not just leaky gut, uh, which causes all sorts of intolerances and issues. So, um, so yeah, so the oral interference is, you know, get rid of things that technology has caused issues in our mouth, get rid of those. Um, yeah, so those are basically my recommendations, which is, you know, obviously sleep optimization, hydration optimization, nature or grounding in sunlight specifically, breathing and oxygenation and oral interferences. Those are, those are really where you, where you start. Lovely. Lovely. Um, I agree. With everything you've said, I think it makes perfect sense. They're mostly accessible. Um, I add a couple other bits and pieces to that, but again, it's, um, it's you find what works for you, right? You know, I do I do cold therapy. I mean, literally just cold showers, but I love it. It lights me up with Wim Hof breathing. I kind of pair those two together. 
Um, I bought myself a sauna. That's amazing. It really is amazing for chilling me out. And uh, I know there are, there's a lot of science to the benefits of having that kind of heat therapy. Um, and I also have like a red light box. Again, it's a few hundred quid. We had Brian Gold on the on the mics a few months ago, and that that seems to fill it seems to fill a void that um, the absence of uh, nature creates, especially in the winter months. So I think there are ways to expand from what you've said. Spend a bit more money if people are keen, um, but you you hit the bases perfectly well. And as I say, I think highly accessible. So thank you for that, uh, Tim. That's fantastic. Let's um, let's bring this to a close then. So you you are planning. You're in um, the plans of trying to put together your second summit uh, yep. in January 2020. Yep. Of course, 2020. we are in uh, a very different time than. <laughs> middle of last year um and there are still constraints as to what we can do who you know who we can see let alone go into mass gatherings so do you see there being any risks associated to planning a conference in january in london how are you mitigating those risks is the format changing and maybe just kind of finish up on like you know who who should we expect to see there from a kind of speaker perspective yeah um number one um is that yeah it's been challenging arranging a, an event but it's a date change is uh is basically the contingency everything else fits into place pretty much so we've been building in the background um subject to corona it was supposed to happen in september but the responsible thing to do was delay it um for the peace of mind for the american speakers and for where we were at the time it was the right call because obviously the government left restrictions in place until october for events and now they put something else in place so january is good i mean we're four and a half months away from it um, we're six, six-ish months uh, into the virus right now, uh, so you know we're just past the middle to that point. We are assessing it um, at the moment in terms of that, but we will do the responsible thing for the tribe and um, everyone because it is a health optimization summit after all. Um, in terms of um, who's coming, speakers and whatnot, we've got um, pretty much the world's leading lineup, actually. Um, that's just because I think um, I've called in a lot of favours, first of all. Um, I've got some very good colleagues. Um, Dave Asprey is obviously a, um, now a stakeholder in the summit as well, um, which is great. And um, I've got his support, but we've got people like Dave Asprey, obviously Dr. Joe McCola, uh, who you know, is very, very well known in the alternative space. Max Lou Gavir as well, who is very well known in the States um, for Genius Foods. Uh, Dr. Sachin Panda, who is the uh, the main uh, doctor behind the whole circadian rhythm or circadian optimization side of things. He wrote the book Circadian Code, which is incredible, all about optimizing your day um, and health as a result. We've got Vishen Lakiani, who is uh, the founder of Mind Valley, uh, which is the biggest online digital training course for mindfulness and meditation and health. Um, we've got people like um, Paul Saladino, who is um, the doctor behind the book uh, Carnivore Code. So it's all about understanding how meat can help um, with health in certain cases. Um, Clint Ober, who is the 
main man behind the whole grounding or mo earthing movement. I mean, the list goes on. Uh, we've actually got Dr. Dominic Nitschwitz as well. Um, we've got Patrick McGowan, who is the guy behind Oxygen Advantage book, um, all about breath work, as well as gut specialists. And um, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty, wow. it's pretty insane. I mean, the lineup is pretty, pretty awesome, in all honesty. And these um, guys don't get, get to London for other conferences, generally speaking. Is, is there no real kind of drive to pull them into London other than this event? No, there's not. Well, no one's really apparently had the balls to do it before in London because it's a big risk. Uh, year one is a big risk for anyone. And I, I begged a lot of these guys to do it in year one and I pulled it off. Um, and so once year one's done and out of the way, generally everyone else follows suit. Yeah. So well, year two is an even better lineup. But year one was incredible. Oh, I wish uh, you all the best for organising that. And I, I do hope, um, yeah, the, the events over the next four to five months don't make this impractical slash impossible to pull off um but worst case if if changes to laws or restrictions make it difficult to host a, a conference um have you have you got any kind of contingency planning would you consider doing it virtual or would you just postpone it to a time on which it is appropriate I'm not going to do digital, no. Um, I like people meeting in person and I will put it to the point where we can all come together and hang out and see the best brands, the best speakers yeah. and have a personal a personal experience again. I mean, it, like digital will get us pie for a certain time, you know, like, um, you know, digital relationships such as um, online dating online without being able to meet in person or, you know, people using porn or whatever, that will get you by for a certain amount of time. But at some point it comes that you do need the human connection. And, and I think in person you can't beat it. Um, so, you know, I have a contingency in place, a backup date. Um, and Olympia are, are, are kind of rolling with the punches, are they? They're kind of understanding if, if you're unable to host an event at said time that, you know, they kind of give you that latitude to move things without penalty yeah there's no there's no issues here and we have a full refund policy on all ticket holders in fact uk uh, government obviously puts um provisions in place that every ticket is refundable should an event be cancelled and things like that okay. so everyone's protected i mean we're selling tickets pretty quickly still um exhibitors have been signing up we're about 75 or 80 percent sold out on floor space already um which is well ahead of where we were last year and so we've done better than last year during a lockdown um, and I'm not just saying that we really we really have done well and I think because everyone's in the forefront of their mind about optimizing their health and doing all these things to you know mitigate risk and improve health you know um, it's doing really well it's so, more yeah. relevant now than ever right very very fantastic, fantastic where can people find you online and how can they check out this summit and uh, potentially buy a ticket yeah, so um, it's healthoptimization.com or healthoptimizationsummit.com, whichever you prefer, with an S, not a Z, because we're British. Um, and I'm on Instagram, Tim Biohacker, or one word. That's probably the best place where I'm most active and I share out most of the information. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to link both of those as well as the other references you've made throughout this podcast within the show notes so people can check all those out there. Um, Thank you for your time, Tim. This has been fantastic. Um, I've learned a bunch today. Any closing thoughts before we switch the mics off? Mm -hmm. No, not really. I think we've covered so much and I think it's really good. Just, I mean, I just, these times will pass and things may be a little bit different, but our mindset is what governs our health the most. 
So I think um, putting the basics in place and understanding that our ancestors got us to this point um, and we should try and adopt that wherever possible is the most important thing you can do. Keep a smile on your face. Here, here. Mic dropping moment. Thank you so much for your time, Tim. Let's speak soon. Thanks, Tim. Whoa, just before you go, I want to know two things from you, if you would be so kind. Firstly, how did you find that episode? Was it insightful? Was it practical? Has it got you thinking about things differently? If so, do us a huge favor, please, and write us up a quick review in your podcast app, whether it be on Apple or Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other podcast platform. And secondly, have you checked out the Be Your Best journey yet? If you haven't, That's cool, but go to adaptnation.io or click the link within the show notes and just take a look around. See how we put together the messaging as to the value of this online course and program. And if you've got any thoughts, I'd love to hear them. And if you're interested about it, then hey, there's no time like the present. Get involved. It's 100 days of personal growth and self-development. I am sure you're going to get a lot of value from it. Anyway, until next time, I'll let you crack on and be your best. If you enjoy this show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might enjoy the show. Feel free to get in touch with us via our website, adaptnation.io, or your favorite social media channel. This has been Adapt Nation. Till next time, thanks for listening.